We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We're talking eighth round running backs, a running back strength of schedule, and more on Roto Viz Radio. What's up, Roto Viz? Welcome back to Roto Viz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online, Blue Chew, and the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. All right, Matt, I'm actually kind of glad here that you did not have much time to look at this show sheet before we started. Who is your favorite villain of all time? Wow. Uh, man, I don't know. Uh, maybe Richard III? <laughs> 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 oh wow that's terrific well i mean like uh I, i'm i'm assuming you've maybe never uh like read or seen richard the third or anything like that no i haven't uh i'm trying to think of like another character that he's close to but okay. um like he okay yeah there's just it's hard to describe him but so like he's he has the hump back so like he's sort of misshapen, but he's like yep. this like very sexually provocative, like sexually driven character who makes like all of these like asides, you know, so like he'll like he'll have all of these ironic statements and then like he'll turn to the like if it were a show, he would like turn to the camera and then like make a statement. So uh, did you ever see House of Cards? Uh, no, I have. OK, so the the main character 
I, I don't even remember his name, but Churchill, maybe whatever. Uh, the, the main character from the show, the Kevin Spacey character who yep. himself in real life, excellent villain. Uh, but like that, that character who, uh, you know, like sort of connives his way to the presidency. And that's also sort of like what Richard the third does. Like he connives his way into becoming King. Like he's a very Richard the third esque type of character where, like he's just like looking at the camera all the time, like making these sly statements, like sort of like yeah. like incorporating the audience into his schemes and making the audience an accomplice. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd maybe have to say Richard the Third because like he's he's a villain, um, but at the same time he's like the anti-hero of the story. Like the story is all about him. Got it. So I, I have to say, you did not let me down at all. Uh, with this answer now from a historical context is Richard the third, the Tudors in there somewhere. Uh, he is the King that the first Tudor monarch defeated. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, so I will share with you and I actually thought given how in line we are sometimes with things, it was possible. This would be your answer. My favorite villain of all time is Iago from Othello. Yeah. Okay. So he is, uh, like an early kind of like proto version of Iago, you know? Okay. Um, got it. Yeah. Yep. Um, another fantastic villain is from Disney's The Great Mouse Detective, Professor Radigan, who when he is going to uh, he develops this contraption that he's going to kill the protagonist of the story with. It's like a torture device. And while he has it on ready to kill him, he has this pre-recorded song that that he is playing where he has sung this song about how great he is. Um, it's brilliant. That, brilliant cinema. That's funny. Uh, I mean, Cruella DeVille. I haven't seen uh, like 101 Dalmatians in forever, but uh, yeah. Cruella DeVille, uh, like I just kind of the way I picture her, I think she was a great villain. Yeah. Um, you know, another villain that I do enjoy is the sensei um, in um, the Karate, <laughs> Karate Kid. Kid. Uh-huh. Karate Kid, because I, I've probably talked about this before, but how Daniel LaRusso is one of the most unlikable protagonists of all time. So I love the fact that he wants them to have no mercy on this chump. Yeah, that's uh, I guess that's fair. I mean, I wouldn't say he's my favorite because of that, but uh, in an '80s movie kind of sense, he is a right. great villain. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, anyway, uh, one more, um, one more. Uh, yep, yep. The I'm not even gonna remember their name, but from the Goonies, like the Fratellis or something like that, they are fantastic villains. So this is where a lot of people are going to be disappointed with me. I have not seen the Goonies. I can't continue this podcast. <laughs> but, yeah. So my, my wife makes fun of me a lot because she's like, you did not actually have like a childhood because there's so many things from like my childhood that I should have picked up or that, you know, people just assume that you've seen or that, you know, or that you're familiar with. And I have an entire lack of familiarity. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. That explains so much about you. all right anyways moving things along uh before we lose any more listeners for today's ffpc stat attack i want to draw attention to matt Breida's adp of running back 38 which has jumped tremendously from his march adp of running back 53 the ffpc is the home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry including dynasty best ball and of course the world famous ffpc main event to learn more or to join a league head to my ffpc 
myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And of course, we have a handful of tools at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. So, Matt, I asked Twitter to send in some questions um, for the shows this week. This is one of the ones that we got. Uh, who is your preferred eighth round running back by current ADP in FFPC best ball? James White, Carrion Johnson, Sony Michelle, Ronald Jones, or Jordan Howard? Honestly, I have spent the past like two minutes that you've been talking just looking at a list of villains. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, yes, I know that. uh, Who did this question come from? Was it Curtis? This is from Curtis. Curtis, Yeah, it's Curtis Patrick. The correct answer was Jordan Howard. Um, Yeah. I don't know if I can go there um, because and this connects with Matt Breida. You know, I think yep. Brita will get a a pretty significant share of the workload. Um, and I like I do think that Jordan Howard is going to get first crack at being the early down guy, but I don't know how good that offense is going to be for the Dolphins. And so maybe he doesn't really get that many yards, doesn't get the opportunity to score a lot of touchdowns. I'm probably staying away from from Jordan Howard. Um, Ron- yeah, dude, I think that Jordan Howard is is, is there's no way he is the right answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ronald Jones, I think it's fine to be a little more pessimistic on, but Sony Michelle, meh, not, not that interested in him. <laughs> like carry on Johnson. Like the problem with all of these guys is that they're, I mean, it's why they're going in the eighth round. The problem with all of them is that they have these issues. Uh, you know, they're like in a committee pretty much, but, uh, James white, I feel like we have a pretty solid sense of who he is. And like, we've seen that he does have potentially the upside for more. Um, I would probably go with James White or Ronald Jones. Yeah, you know, I can't really disagree with you there. Of course, you know, with any player in the eighth round, you're not going to have that much conviction about them. Um, But for the reasons that you mentioned, I'm pretty worried about Howard. And then also, and as we talked about last podcast, um, Chris Raybon of the Action Network and Fantasy Labs recently did a similar exercise coming up with strength of schedule ratings for teams or for positional. Did he do it on positional groups, Matt? Yeah. Okay. Uh, For positional groups, I have found the Miami running backs who have extremely the hardest of all uh, schedules for the upcoming season. If you want to hear more about how I arrive at that, uh, we talked about it earlier in the week. Of course, you can also check out the article at Rotoviz. Um, it seems like they have an absolutely brutus, brutal schedule. So when you add in the fact that there's Howard and Brita there, uh, it does make me worried about both of those guys a little bit. Follow up um, follow question here. Yep. Have you seen uh, Holmes or no Sherlock? Uh, like the BBC Sherlock with um whatever his name is, the the tall guy, I can't believe I don't remember is it his name. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay. Um, I think that my wife and I did watch some of that. We did not watch the whole series. Okay, never mind. If you you would, I feel like you'd remember. If you, even I would though I couldn't it. remember his name, like I feel like you'd remember if you'd seen that. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Um, you know maybe. For a long time, I've been thinking that we need to have one episode that goes completely. This isn't going to be it. That just goes completely off the rails and perhaps no has no football. I think villains apparently seems to yes, have uh, it, it attracted your villains. attention. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe. All right. Uh, before I go on, I'm obligated to ask: Do you have a favorite villain from Harry Potter? 
Well, I mean, like, yeah, I was thinking about this more like Voldemort is probably my favorite villain, like thinking about it now, because like there are aspects of him that kind of are uh, like uh, Richard the Third esque. But um, yeah, he's such a good villain, like very well rounded, you know, like because you get a lot of his backstory in the later books. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Voldemort. And, you know, uh, I think I'm just like blanking on a whole bunch of stuff tonight, but um Beatrix like she's yep. also yep. fantastic in the movies especially yes uh, so you know it's interesting though that you bring up Voldemort uh, because I have read a number of critiques that present him as a kind of contrived type of character that there tries to be too much drawn into him that doesn't really read as true but I never had that interpretation when I was reading through the books no like it it feels it feels good to me like you know I I read it and I'm like yeah that makes sense yeah i do too and i actually find that lots of times i think that characters seem kind of contrived almost as if like their story is too much written backwards and then you're kind of filling in the blanks i did not feel like that with him at all yeah i mean i would say the we are really taking this off the rails but like i'd say uh it feels like vader uh especially like in the prequels like i I know like the job of the prequels is to give the backstory of vader but I think they do a really bad job of it. Right. Because I feel like in a lot of good works, you can tell that even if the prequel wasn't presented, that story and those characters were already occupying a space in the creator's head. Yeah. And it did not feel like that in those. Yeah. All right. So before we get further off the rails, let's take a quick word to hear from our sponsor, Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on, from their online casino to poker and blackjack. They're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Okay, Matt. So, for running backs, given the conversation that we had last week, let's just refresh everybody's mind here. Uh, are you looking at strength of schedule in any capacity when you're evaluating fantasy running backs for a coming season? No. All right. <laughs> no. So um, I think that's fair. I do have what I view to be very, very exciting news, and we can use this to talk a little bit more about the Colts, but the Colts have an absolute cakewalk based upon my metrics from last season. For their running back schedule, uh, it's just setting up even more perfectly for Jonathan Smash to crush things this upcoming season as a rookie. Did read a story at Roto World today. The Colts are trying to make the claim that it's going to be a one-one punch at running back. How uh, ridiculous is that? No, that's not ridiculous. Actually, that's the thing. It is not ridiculous. It was actually predictable, and uh, you know what we see recently reported. Uh, goes along with my thesis that we actually are going to see much more of a committee. It's not going to be Jonathan Taylor just running out there every down. Like Marlon Mack is going to get a significant share of the workload. They have him. They're going to run him into the ground. He's the veteran. Like I know they drafted Jonathan Taylor, but how much how much time is he going to get in the preseason to acquaint himself with the offense? 
Like it is so easy for a coaching staff to look at the situation and be like, okay, yeah, we have Jonathan Taylor. We like him, but why not use the veteran who actually knows the system and has been here three years? Like maybe Jonathan Taylor steals the job in the middle of the season, but they have three backs there who are all, you know, at least somewhat competent. I think it's a good situation for Taylor. We actually at Action Network, we have the Colts with the easiest strength of schedule at the running back position. But I still don't think that's a, I still don't think that necessarily means that Taylor runs away with the job. I think he's going to have to share it with two other guys. Okay. um, I think that um, your point there, especially about, uh, you know, what the, the preseason is going to look like is fair. Um, I want to follow up on your, your phraseology that you used about running Marlon Mack into the ground. Um, do you really think that you're looking at a situation where this team's like, we have to extract as much value as we can out of him by highly leveraging him? Or do you mean something different? Yeah, no, I overstated the case because I was being okay. dramatic. But I, yeah. it's not that they, uh, I think, are going to feel as if they need to get everything out of him. But I think they're not going to be afraid to use him. Like, he's been pretty decent this the past two seasons. Like, if they wouldn't have drafted a running back, where do you think you would be taking him? Huh, probably in the RB 16, RB 20 range. Yeah, that's, I think that's fair. Probably around there. I mean, he's played 13. He's averaged 13 games over the past two years. Averaged almost 1,100 yards per season on that. Averaged nine touchdowns per season on that. Uh, you know, hasn't been super dynamic in the passing game, but like he's competent there. You know, like we do know from what he did as a rookie that he can catch the ball and from what he did in college that he can do it. Um, I don't know. Like, I think whatever people expect out of Jonathan Taylor, it's just, it's too much. There's another good back there on the roster who has NFL experience. Oh, you're killing me, Matt. You are killing me. I don't want to hear that. Um, all right. Chicago um, looks like they might have a pretty easy schedule in 2020, but more specifically, I'm concerned on Tariq Cohen. And if you think it makes any sense to roster him, he currently has an ADP of 112. David Montgomery is going around 50. Um, if you don't like Cohen, do you think that Montgomery is more palatable at that ADP of 50? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I never liked it. I know you've never really liked Cohen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the person to ask on this. Uh, <laughs> okay. and, and Montgomery, like I feel he was pretty disappointing last year, but he still had over a thousand yards. Maybe the offense is better this year. Maybe he's a little bit better this year. Like right now he's, yeah, you said ADP of around 50. He's going as like yep. the number like 27, if I'm looking at this right, number 27 running back off the board. He probably deserves to go higher. Like he could finish as a mid-range RB2. Like I think that's fair. Like, yeah, like yeah. Where, okay, where Jonathan Taylor is going as the number 16 running back off the board, like that's ridiculous. Like Montgomery, <laughs> Montgomery has a better chance of finishing as the number 16 running back than Jonathan Taylor does. Okay, um... 
Ah, shoot. I had a very... Okay, my, my thought on Montgomery that I wanted to mention was when you look at the 50, for whatever reason, that feels kind of high. But then when you look at his ranking or his ADP just within running backs, it is really not that egregious. Um, now, though, I guess a key question we have to have here is when you're comparing Taylor and Montgomery, how much of that... You're looking at that across the entire season... Um, or are you thinking about that more in a context of even if Taylor does emerge by the end of the season, um, it's just going to be so late in the season that Montgomery's overall value is higher. Do you kind of see where I'm taking that? Yeah. I'm just looking across the season. Like maybe Taylor like gets the job in the second half of the year and then he just becomes awesome. That's, that's possible. Like I think stuff like that is really hard to predict, so I don't try to do it. I just try to think about, like, over the course of the season, how much production is this guy likely to give? Got it. Uh, Joe Mixon looks like Cincinnati is going to have a very, very easy schedule. How much that matters remains to be seen. But I think that one thing some drafters might have reservations about is the fact that he'll be playing with a rookie in Joe Burrow. He's going as the RB7 as a first rounder. Does the fact that we might have a bit of a new identity in Cincinnati make you want to go for one of the more established players um, in the first round? Although really, if you're not going to go with a guy like Mixon, you're probably looking at like a player like Derrick Henry, who I want to follow up on. Um, But does that fact that Burrow is going to be there give you any concern or change your opinion about Mixon at all? No, I think we had a conversation about Mixon near the end of last season or maybe yep. near the beginning of uh, of this year. And I was like, Mixon's a first rounder. And you were like, no, no. And like, here we are. Like, who is actually there? There are very, let me rephrase this. There are very few running backs who are more established than Joe Mixon. Like he has back to back years of 1400 yards and eight plus touchdowns. He gets the ball in the passing game. Um, he's still relatively young, only 24, and he dealt with a horrible offensive line and just offense in general. Like he was on the worst team in the league last year, and he still had 1,400 yards. They're going to be better this year. Their offensive line is going to be better. You know, Mixon could, I mean, what do you think is possible? Like Mixon could have 1,800 yards this year. Like that wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility. You know, 1400 to 1600 is more realistic, but I think 1200 is the absolute floor unless he like really injures himself or something. I like Mixon a lot. Yeah. So I don't recall that conversation. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I don't know if I would have been as, you know, vehemently opposed to Mixon as you're saying. Perhaps I was. Uh, But let's fast forward. I think that one of the things that's holding back Mixon in some people's mind for those, those, people out there that aren't feeling too great about him is very bad stretch to open last season. Right. Um, but it doesn't make any sense to take that stretch and radically change your evaluation of the, of him this season, given how we saw things correct. Um, and given what we've seen from him in, in his career. So like, I'm perfectly, if I'm getting him as the RB seven, I'm perfectly fine with that because I don't think that his floor is any lower than the players that are behind him. And I think there's a lot of upside, especially if Cincinnati improves off of last season. Um, good receiver, right? Good runner. Uh, what more can we ask for, um, 
Joe Mixon, you know, out of Joe Mixon, given what we've seen when he's been at his best? No, I mean, I don't think there's anything more we can ask for. It's fair for him to be behind McCaffrey, Barkley, and Zeke, Cook, Kamara. He should probably be behind Kamara. But, like, Derrick Henry, like, we can talk about him. Like, that's a little more of a toss-up, I think. And then, like, all of the guys who are behind him, I think it makes sense for them to be behind him. Right. I mean, I think it's very hard to come up with a list of maybe one or two players that you really could be making very solid arguments for going ahead of him. Now, I want to get your opinion on Derrick Henry, who is going ahead of him based upon ADP. In some of the best ball leagues I've been doing, I've seen Henry go ahead of Mixon. Yeah. Undeniably, a great year for Tennessee last season. I think they outplayed a lot of people's expectation, but I think it's really worth asking the question, is there any chance that last season was just a fluke, albeit for the Titans or for Henry? Mm, I mean... I don't know. It's it's hard. I think uh, I think they're going to continue to feed him. I think the real question is, can he continue to be efficient with all the volume that he gets? I just I don't know if that's the case, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I expect the Titans still to be pretty good running the ball. I think they will want to continue to run the ball. Um, He's still going to get a lot of touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I. I don't know. I don't think it's I don't think it's a fluke, you know. Like, yeah, he's he's been he's been good for a while. He was good entering the league. He was awesome in college. You know, he's gotten better at catching the ball. Yeah, I hear that. Um, And I think ultimately where I landed on this is one knock on him would be the fact that, uh, you know, has not been a Christian McCaffrey type of wide receiver, or sorry, a running back boy with McCaffrey. Sometimes you actually almost think of him as a wide receiver. Uh, but I think in the case of Henry, that probably doesn't matter that much, especially because he's not going up in that group of players with Cook, Elliott, Kamara. You know, we're normally seeing him after those guys. And I actually am inclined to think that what we saw last season will carry forward into 2020. Like you said, you know, maybe there could be a scaling back a little bit in the efficiency, but even if there is, he's kind of in that zone where I'm still probably going to take him ahead of the other players that are are behind him. I'm not going to move any of those guys ahead because they all have significant questions too. Yeah, he's, I mean, just you look at the, uh, the game log. I mean, he's absolutely awesome, especially when you take into account what he did in the playoffs last year. Yeah. So like as long as that performance didn't catapult him up into the Christian McCaffrey Saquon Barkley range, I don't think that there's a, a you know, any compelling reason that you need to really readjust your valuation on valuation on him in comparison to his ADP. Yeah, I agree. Uh yeah. So one quick word from another one of our sponsors, and then we will close this episode out. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. 
Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E, BlueChew.com, and promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, another question that we had come in. Uh, what rookie wide receiver who's typically being drafted outside of the first two rounds in rookie drafts has the most appeal? Man, I really There's hate, a lot of rookie I, wide receivers going in these first two rounds, Matt. Yeah, I really, it's not like this is a bad question. It's a good question. Um, I just really hate it because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's hard because, yeah, so many wide receivers are going in the first two rounds. And then the guys who uh aren't are almost like by definition guys who are unattractive you know like right. if, if they if they were better they would be going in the first two rounds so i don't know so i think i have the answer here um and i don't know if this holds based upon adp but in the couple of rookie drafts that i was in this year i did not see tyler johnson going in the first two rounds yeah the reason that i would say that i actually am still excited about him i think we've laid out before but i think of those players in that range, I do think that he has a pretty compelling profile. I think that he actually could be pretty good. And in the short term, it doesn't look like there's a much of a path to success for him. But there, like you said before, it's possible that he sees the field as early as this season. Um, and who knows? You know, maybe um, that allows him to be a contributor in the next couple of seasons. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what Godwin and Evans contracts look like in the short term, but it might be hard for both of them to be there in the long term. Yeah, this is this is tough. So I would say I get the Tyler Johnson enthusiasm and I do have him as someone who should go off the board in round three, but um, he's not the one I would go with. OK, and hmm, I would go with. All right, here's a question. What do you think of Brian Edwards? Uh, I mean, I don't exactly know what to make of Brian Edwards. I mean, I think there's reasons to be intrigued, but I don't know if... Um, I think for a lot of people, the landing spot with the Raiders made them more excited. For me, I don't know if it really makes me that much more excited. Yeah, I mean, okay, I think within a year, he's probably going to be a starter. Um you know, he was a four-star recruit, has good size, athleticism, did break out at a young age, but never really had a full-on breakout in college. Um, but, you know, third rounder, so I, yeah. I get it. Here are the guys I would actually focus on the most. The guy I'm actually interested in is Devin DuVernay. Um, you know, Baltimore Ravens, so he could be in an explosive offense. Drafted in the third round, so... You know, he has some actual draft capital invested in him, 4.39 second 40 time, and, you know, was one of the most productive, you know, receivers in college football last year. Um, so he's the guy that I'm probably most interested in. That said, Van Jefferson, which makes me sick to my stomach to actually say that, but Van Jefferson is a guy you really have to pay attention to because he's available. He's a second rounder. He was a four-star recruit, um, and he could get significant playing time right away with the Rams. You know, like it's a it's a humility pick to go with Van <laughs> Van Jefferson to sort of like really yeah. like 
where I've ranked him, like I don't want to draft him in the third round, but if he's available, like I think you have to because you just have to be like, okay, there's so much to dislike about him, but he's a second rounder who's going to get immediate playing time. Like, yeah. Um, the, yeah, the interesting thing is I've, I've seen him go really late. I actually think I've seen him available in the fourth round. And I think it's just because people forget about him because myself included, nobody was talking about him ahead of the draft. You barely know anything about his profile until the draft happens and you go and start trying to figure out like, you know, who the hell is Van Jefferson. Um, but he's drafted at a point in the draft where most of the time you're actually going to be like, all right, I need to really consider this player. Um, you know, like I, I think that's a really good, really good point to bring up there. And especially since we see him slipping out of the second round, you know, it's probably worthwhile taking a shot with, as you said, with the humility pick, I think that's a really good way of putting it. Uh, because with these other players, maybe there's one or two things in their profile that you're getting interested about, but those probably aren't going to make up for where they actually got drafted in the yeah, NFL draft. Like that's the way I feel about Tyler Johnson. Like I, I like Tyler Johnson better than Van Jefferson, but I feel like I need to force myself to have the humility to be like, okay, the NFL knows better than I do. And the NFL passed on Tyler Johnson, you know, till the fifth round. And the NFL, even though it was just one team, like the NFL gave Van Jefferson a second round draft grade. Right. You know, like I just, I have to go with that. You know, and the other thing that I, I wrote about this in an article recently and I, I probably phrased it better. Um, but basically what I think of a player only matters so much because I'm not the one controlling them getting playing time. Yeah. So even if I'm right that some of these guys going later are better, really what matters is, especially in the short term, is what the NFL thinks. Because if an NFL thinks a player is a second rounder, he's going to see the field much quicker than a guy that goes in the fifth round is going to. And it doesn't matter if I'm right or they're wrong. Yeah, So exactly. Um, yeah. So uh a question that i did get was thoughts on drafting veterans in late rounds of rookie drafts with an example being in some leagues you know like with the sixth or seventh pick people are taking a flyer on marshawn lynch we don't even know if he's going to play so two questions here do you think it makes sense to draft veterans late in in the late rounds of rookie drafts or to try to you know maybe catch lightning in a bottle with a rookie at the end of the draft um and then my other question is if we were to find out that marshawn lynch does play uh is he worth stashing (laughs) Okay, so I would say even before those questions, um, I don't think it's great practice to have uh, veterans available in rookie drafts. Like, I think most leagues don't do that. Uh, So I would just say, like, don't do that. Um, To the question of, like, if those guys are available, I would still rather have, you know, like one of these guys who could be good for a decade or good for five years. I would rather have one of those guys. Now, if it's a veteran, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, the right guy. Let's say, like, for some reason, someone dropped, like, Jared Cook or something. And it's like, oh, you know what? I need a tight end. I have a team that could compete for a championship now, and I need a tight end. Like, I don't know. Maybe you take him at the end of round one, but not even then. Like, not even then. You just take the player who long-term gives you value. And then you could trade that guy for someone else who's a veteran if you need to. But um, no, I I think you continue to shoot for the long term with your rookie picks. And like Marshawn Lynch, if he does play, 
No, like I don't want to stash him. He's I don't think he's worth anything. Yeah, so that's more or less where I am. I do have a good player that I've seen go that will add some context to the situation. But, you know, with a lot of these like backup older veteran type of running backs and especially guys that aren't there, even like their RB2 on their team or it's not clear that they are. I don't think it makes much sense to go at, you know, for them at all. Maybe with some of the wide receivers, you could make a case if it's like your second to last pick, because at that point, I think the odds of a, of a rookie hitting. Are you thinking like Antonio Brown? No, I've seen Kenny Stills go pretty late. Uh, yeah, I mean, which I I, I'm not saying I would necessarily go for, it, but I could see how in your team, perhaps you need that veteran presence and the odds of a player that isn't going in the sixth or seventh round are so low that it could make sense. But I think I personally would rather have the opportunity of maybe getting a guy that I'm not expecting at all to work out. And that possibility is there versus a guy that's a veteran that we've seen now four or five seasons and hasn't put it together. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Yep. Um, the Jared Cook, though, that's interesting because um, I can see him being like a pretty significant contributor to a team in the short term. But like, I don't think there's any way, though, that I'm taking him in the first or second. Yeah, maybe in the third. I could start to think about it. Yeah, I would just say in general, just stick with the young guys. OK. All right. Um, that will do it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF and at Matt F the Oracle. Thanks to Bet Online, Blue Chew, and the FFPC for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.